guy. Thank you, Jesus. The Lord is good. Thank you, praise singers. I believe there is a youth class this morning. There is no uh, kidsmen this morning. If you're a visitor and you might have uh, children this morning, our kidsmen is just on sabbatical for a little period of time. That will be starting back up here uh, in the new year. And that is coming soon. We've got a few renovations and improvements going on around here. But uh, we're getting things back into full swing very shortly. Amen. Amen. Pastor is away today. Uh, he has a birthday that is upon us. And uh, he wanted to hear some good preaching today. And he knew that I was on the schedule. Naturally, he went somewhere else. <laughs> now, in fact, he is in Springfield. It's been uh, some period of time since he has been with his son, John. And uh, that's where he is at, Springfield, Missouri, not Illinois. A few less homeless folks in Springfield, Missouri. But uh, he'll be worshiping the Lord. But uh, he is tuning in and watching this and cringing as I'm speaking uh, right now because their service starts a little bit later uh, in the day. Amen. Somebody said amen. amen. All right. We are going to be uh, reading this morning from the book of Matthew, chapter number 16, as well as Luke chapter 9. I brought one of these out here, but they're both unopened, so they're fine. Matthew chapter 16, 1037. Let me write this down here. Is there a reason I did that? Amen. I don't want to go too long, but I do have a word for you this morning that I'm going to bring you, and we'll begin by reading just some very just basic foundational uh, teaching, preaching this morning. Chapter 16 of the book of Matthew, verse number 21. If you're there, say amen. 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 Some of you are using electronic devices. That's fine, but I'm very happy to hear this sound. I like, I like that sound. Beginning of verse number 21. From that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. Then Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. Now Peter had good intentions here. Kind of reminds me, in fact, I was thinking about it before uh, uh, we were considering some ministry uh, by, by Brother Soto that we were all uh, thinking about this past uh, Wednesday night. And that, that, that Cain uh, offered an insufficient sacrifice. He, he was a tiller of the ground, but it seemed rational, it seemed logical to him. This, this fruit that he brought for, for a sacrifice, it was of value to him, but it was not what the Lord required. And although he may have been thinking rationally and logically, he was out of step with God and out of alignment with the will of God, as Peter was right here, although he may have been good and well-intentioned. Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. Verse 23, but he, Jesus, turned and said unto Peter, get thee behind me, Satan. Woo! This is the man that's going to be preaching on the day of Pentecost. Get thee behind me, Satan. 
Thou art an offense unto me, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. I wanted to consider that last verse and in light of Luke's recording of that in Luke chapter 9 and verse number 23. There are certain things that are recorded within this multiple times in the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, that are good to to review and compare one with another and think about the audience that's being spoken to as well. Uh, the book of Matthew written to uh, Jews. Chapter 9 of Luke and verse number 23. And he said unto them, Jesus speaking, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross. One extra word here. Luke record, recorded. Daily. Somebody said Daily. And follow me. Jesus understood that in the church age under the new covenant that, that, that was about to be entered into, uh, it was going to be a, a spiritual body. People are going to be filled with the spirit of a living God, and yet they were still going to have this flesh, this human flesh to contend with uh, day by day by day. And the way that we keep that flesh uh, under subjection is a daily task. Amen. We must deny ourselves and take up our cross uh, daily. This is what we need to do and follow him. And I'm going to preach for a little while this morning on an altar of necessity. Lord, in Jesus' name, thank you, Lord, for this service. Thank you for your spirit that we've felt thus far uh, within it, Lord. I pray over the ministry of the word this morning. Help me, Lord, to just simply say things that, that you would have me to say, Lord, I pray that your people would receive understanding from your word today, God. I pray you'd minister by your spirit, Lord God, not just my voice, God, but by your spirit, Lord, unto every heart, to every ear that is in here listening and receiving the word of God this morning in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. amen. And you may be seated, please. Just as some of us here today... I was very blessed in my younger days to have grown up in and around the true church of God. I didn't, it, was not a, it was not the Catholic church. It was not a, uh, any other denominal church. I said the true church, not a church that teaches a doctrine of a trinity, which is a false doctrine, which is based upon pagan philosophies, but the true church that preaches, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And that one Lord, that one God, has a name that was revealed to us uh, when Jesus Christ himself, when God manifest himself in the flesh, came to this earth, walked and lived a sinless life before he was crucified and rose again the third day, that we might be saved. I was blessed as a child from my earliest memories, as some of us here today, to remember uh, 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 that experience of the true church from my earliest memories. I was blessed to see and to, to, to hear and experience things uh, uh, in and around the church. It was a place that I would see familiar faces. It was a place that I would see uh, family and friends and, and people who loved me on a weekly basis, multiple times per week. It was a place where... Music and melodies and sounds were etched into my memory bank where even how I could reproduce those sounds on musical instruments 
was being learned subconsciously as I heard some of these songs uh, repetitively from week to week, month to month, and year to year. Uh, It was a place where I saw people pray and I saw people worship uh, the Lord, demonstrative uh, worship before the Lord. I saw people dancing in the spirit before the Lord. I saw people uh, get filled with the Holy Ghost. I saw people baptized back in the day when you could actually see it. We didn't always have a wall here. There used to be some plexiglass. And as a child, that was a neat thing. You could sit there and see someone go into that water identifying with the burial of Jesus Christ and the resurrection when they are uh, coming up uh, out of that water. I saw people filled with the Holy Ghost. I saw uh, the gifts of the Spirit in operation from a young age. I saw people uh, give a public pronouncement in tongues and interpretation of those tongues. And I can even recall as a child... From time to time, most of the time, I'd recognize, okay, that's the real deal. I knew it was the Spirit of God when somebody was speaking forth in a tongue. But I can tell you, on a rare occasion, there was even a time where somebody was speaking a public uh, pronouncement in a tongue, and something was off. Something was not right. And as a child, I recognized that. Even as a child, okay, there's something not quite right here. And I didn't understand at that time because I was a child. Pastor had to oversee that church meeting and make sure things were being done uh, decently uh, and in order. And they're still to be done that way today. Uh, this church was a, a place where scriptures would get burned into my memory uh, because so many times the songs that we sang were actually just scriptures that were put to music. And so unbeknownst to me, I'd hear these songs being, being sung And then if I was doing whatever at home and I might think of that tune and I'm singing that song, actually I was quoting scripture that I had memorized and I didn't even realize it and that was a wonderful thing. And it was a place where I would hear, specifically within this church, uh, just a rich and vast array of preaching and teaching uh, from from men of God, from G.E. Switzer, uh, George Sobolchi, Louise Potter, who was preaching here when I got the Holy Ghost, uh, Jack Holmes, Laverne Carell, some of you remember uh, these names, a young brother Jerry Jones, a young brother Brian Kinsey, a young brother Scott Graham, uh, John Kellogg, Vic Votaw, Brother Ritz, Sister Nona Freeman, Brother Lee Stone King. Uh, I heard so many great ministers, a young Brian Labatt, when I was a kid, and he'd be preaching here, you know, in the late 80s, and I was a child, the other kids in Sunday school would call me Brian Labatt. Because he's Brian LeBac. Ha, 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 you're Brian LeBac. Amen. A young Jason Sisko. Just a rich and vast array of, of ministers that I was exposed to. And as a child, I would hear and see these men of God. I would know who they were. I would begin to associate a name with a face. And they would tell some stories, especially Brother Votaw, Brother Ritz. He'd always have a lot of great stories to tell and many other of these uh, these ministers too. And yet, and some of those stories I would compute. And yet as a child, uh, many of the things that were being uh, preached and taught, I did not really grasp a hold of just yet. Incidentally, that is the reason that we do not baptize uh, infants. There are a lot of churches out there that they're looking for things to do. They don't have the truth after all. They don't preach sound doctrine. They need to kill some time so people will donate their money. Let's baptize infants. Well, that never happened in the Bible. Infants were never baptized. Jesus said, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved in Mark chapter 16. An infant has not come to a place 
uh, where he can compute and understand certain things. In fact, a small child has not come to a place where he can, he can uh, register everything uh, that is being uh, taught unto him or that is being preached from a pulpit. Every child's a little different on when they begin to uh, accrue this amount of, of understanding, and I was no different than that. And somewhere along the way, while consistently coming to the house of God, because my parents would drag me here every, they wouldn't really drag me, but every Sunday, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, revival uh, services that might go for a week at a time, and, and, and services that would be a bit longer than they, what they are nowadays. If we have a six o'clock service, we wouldn't have been out of here before nine o'clock. We would have had more than an hour of worship and singing, amen, at that time. But, but, but somewhere along the way, I did begin to register and to understand some of these things that were coming across the pulpit uh, from the man and woman of God that was ministering uh, under the church. And what was happening there was faith was beginning. Faith has a beginning in all of us. It had a beginning in me. It had a beginning in you. Even adults, when they hear this gospel message uh, for the first time, uh, once they begin to understand and receive what is being preached and taught, faith uh, has a beginning, and they begin to, to grasp what's going forth and grasp what is required of the plan of salvation. And I began to understand this, this uh, simple salvation plan of Acts 2.38, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and how we identify with that through repentance, through baptism in Jesus' name, by immersion in water, through the infilling of the Holy Ghost with the initial evidence of speaking with other tongues. And I began to understand that, and at the same time, therefore, I began to recognize that I was not saved. Mm. Me. I was lost. I was in a lost state, according to what the Bible says. And that's all that we had to go by. And there began to be this kind of a sinking feeling within me, recognizing uh, that, that, that I am lost here. If Jesus was to come back tonight, and I have not yet experienced Acts 2 through 8 salvation, then I am lost. And that was a problem. And it began to weigh heavily upon my mind, that, that, that this lost condition that, that I was in, and my parents could not help me. My grandmother couldn't help me. My friends couldn't help me. My pastor could not even help me. He could point me in the right direction. Uh, but, but, but there are certain things that he could not do, and God, because he is bound by his word, could not simply give me a pass and declare me saved just simply because I recognized that, that I was unsaved and that there were some things uh, that, that I needed to do. Yes, I'm certain that God looked upon me with eyes of, of compassion, and no doubt he desired for me uh, to do the right thing and to become a part of the body of Christ. After all, it is the will of God for, for all men to be saved. But there are certain things that even God cannot and will not do for me, but rather he gives me a choice as a free will moral agent. I have a free will. He allows me to make my own decisions of how I proceed. It is my choice, and it's up to me to do something uh, about this, this problem because he knows that if I want the things of God bad enough, then I'm going to make right choices and I'm going to be begin to pursue uh, the things of God as recorded uh, within his word. It's up to me and it is up to you to follow that plan that God has prescribed within his word and I have to do things uh, his way. Amen. And as a nine, ten-year-old boy, I began to recognize these things. I began to recognize my lost condition 
And I began to understand what needs to be done, and yet there were times when I'd be sitting out there and I'd feel something pulling within me that, oh boy, I've got to do something about this, but I don't want to walk in front of all these people. What's so-and-so going to think when I walk up here? Boy, look at that guy. He's a terrible 10-year-old sinner. Probably (laughs) robbed the First National Bank. Who knows what else that horrible human being has done. There were a little bit of nerves that had to be overcome. That's normal. But something had to, had to occur. And the first thing I had to do was to come to an altar. This is God's way, that I come first to an altar. Now, this altar was largely a symbolic thing. Uh, it did not have, uh, it was not a physical altar of specific dimensions. Now, now here we have the steps uh, of this platform, and we will refer to this uh, as an altar, that at the conclusion of service, I will make an altar call, we'll say, and you can come down here and you can kneel uh, and pray before the Lord, but it, you don't even have to come to these steps because on December the 9th, Wednesday, December the 9th of 1990, I made my altar uh, right back over there around where Sister Beth Adams uh, is sitting. We had wooden pews at the time. Brother Jeff Williams, many of you remember, was, was uh, preaching uh, teaching the word on a Wednesday night, and he was talking about doors that night. And, and I just, we have certain preachers sometimes that we connect with, and, and he was a saint within this church, but man, I loved hearing that man preach and teach the word of God, and boy, I'd love to hear it again in Jesus' name. And I knelt down at a pew on, on December the 9th of 1990, and I made that my altar, and I began to, to cry out to God and just to spill my guts under the Lord and to ask forgiveness for everything I had done with, with, with sincerity in my heart that, God, I'm turning away. I'm turning away uh, from this flesh. I'm turning unto you. I'm going to follow after you. Anything I've done in my past, forgive me of it, Lord God. I'm not I'm going to endeavor not to do it again, Lord God. I'm going to follow after you. And there was sincerity uh, within me. And somewhere along the way during that service, uh, Brother G.E. Switzer, who was pastor at the time, made his way back there. And he saw, he recognized somebody found his way to an altar. And in his gentle way of speaking as he had, he just said, do you want to be baptized tonight? And I got baptized in the lovely name of Jesus Christ Amen. on that day. My altar was the pew where I was sitting. But the preacher that night, Brother Williams, could rightly have said that I need to find a place to repent. And that probably is what he said. I didn't have to come to these uh, steps right up here. And we see that altars in Scripture, with few exceptions, are largely symbolic Uh, of repentance. An altar of repentance is effective so long as it is an altar to the one true God, not to a false God, not to an idol. An altar of repentance is effective so long as you approach that altar not by man's way, but by God's way, as I have mentioned already. It is effective so long as you are sincere and committed, that you will henceforth be submitted and obedient to God's word and to his will. And by turning away from from, from sin and your sinful nature, you will do that by aligning yourself with his holy nature. And so uh, much of this has to do with my my attitude and my motives in how that I approach uh, that altar. And importantly, altars uh, in Scripture and today are a necessary means 
for sinful man to approach a holy God to restore relationship with him, and if you've already been born again of the water and the spirit, to maintain uh, your relationship with him. And so on that night, I had to be committed to turning away from my sinful nature, not turning back to it, and I was committed. And yes, I've made up, I've messed up since that time. I've made a few mistakes since, since December of 1990, believe it or not. But, but it was on that night I started this process of sanctification, a process of holiness and allowing God to transform me into his image. And that process continues today. But it all started at an altar. And we see altars used throughout the Bible as an initial way to approach God to atone for sins and for our, our sinful nature. We see plenty of altars in Scripture. I already referenced uh, Cain and Abel. And the big difference between the two was that Abel followed God's plan. He offered an animal sacrifice. Blood sacrifice is what's required upon an altar of repentance because the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 9, without shedding of blood, there is no remission. He offered a blood sacrifice upon that altar. It was an animal uh, at that time. And throughout the Old Testament, we see animals used for that purpose. His brother Cain, on the other hand, uh, offered the fruit of the ground. And, and the Lord had respect, the Bible says, unto Abel. But unto Cain and his sacrifice, he had uh, not respect. And there were some, some bad results of that. God gave Cain uh, plenty of room and opportunity still to repent and to change what... what uh, how he approached God, and he did not do so. Amen. We see the first... Uh, now, it, that's implied that there was an altar at the time of Cain and Abel. It does not use the word altar in Genesis chapter 4 when we're reading about Cain and Abel. The first time we see the use of the word altar in Scripture is not until uh, chapter 8 of Genesis, and we're talking about Noah and the story of Noah between chapters uh, 6 and 8 of Genesis uh, in particular. Uh, that, that, that God saw that the, the thoughts of the imagination of man's heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he made man. And so he was going to send a flood and he was going to cleanse out this earth. But we found as, as we were uh, taught and was talked about on Sunday as well as on Wednesday night that there were eight souls uh, that were spared and that was Noah and his family. And after that flood subsided, Noah got out, he built an altar. And these altars up to that time were, were made of, of dirt and stone, probably a flat stone upon the top of it. And he offered animal sacrifices of clean animals uh, that were on that ark under the Lord. And the Bible says that it was a sweet savor under the Lord. And following Noah's offering upon that altar, a covenant was implemented by God between Noah and really between man uh, and God, as God said that he would no more curse uh, the ground. We see in Abraham uh, an altar at the time of Abraham when God called him to, to offer his son Isaac. Now, the Bible, the God of this Bible, the true God, never calls for a human being uh, to be sacrificed uh, unto the Lord with the exception of the flesh of the Messiah. Uh, and so Abraham was actually being tested by God. God was not telling him, I want you to sacrifice your children to me and have your, have other, uh, have your children sacrifice their children. That's not what was happening. Okay, but a precedent uh, was being set here as, as Abraham uh, was proving to the Lord that he would hold nothing back from him in his relationship with him. And God uh, 
he said, a ram in the thicket, and that Abraham saw, he stopped his hand when he was about to slay his own son, and instead God offered that ram in the thicket, which would be a type of Jesus Christ, not, not Isaac, when he, because Isaac was not sacrificed. It was that ram in the thicket that was. The topology stopped uh, once that ram was caught uh, in the thicket. And then finally, we continue on into the Old Testament, and then we get to the time of Moses. And Moses, uh, after crossing the Red Sea uh, with the children of Israel, he comes up into uh, Mount Sinai, and the Lord has some words with him. He had a tremendous experience with the Lord upon Mount Sinai, and that's where the Lord gave him uh, two tablets of stone, and most people think about Mount Sinai. Well, that's where we got the Ten Commandments. There was another significant thing that occurred uh, upon that mountain, and it is that is when uh, God gave to Moses the tabernacle plan. And this plan uh, was very detailed. It was, it was very specific. It was uh, simple, and yet there were some elaborate things. And we find that the, the altar uh, was much more specific in this time. Up to that time, altars were built with, with dirt and stone. Uh, but now the Lord gave Moses specific dimensions uh, for an altar, that this altar was to be five cubits uh, square in length and width, three cubits high. And later on in the Temple of Solomon, it would be bigger. I want to say it was 20 uh, cubits square. And then at the, uh, later on in, in the uh, third temple, the Temple of Herod, there were a few temples built. They kept making this altar uh, bigger and bigger in every one of these subsequent uh, temples that were being built. But in the tabernacle, it was five square cubits. It was three cubits high. But it was the largest article of furniture uh, within the tabernacle plan. Any other uh, piece of furniture could have fit within uh, the size of that altar because of the size of it, and perhaps that speaks to the importance uh, of repentance. First of all, the first thing you had to do when you were approaching uh, this tabernacle was to go to this brazen altar. You could not go to the brazen labor. You certainly could not enter into the holy place unless you had first approached this altar uh, in God's way. And we cannot come to, to worship the Lord and the Lord receive that unless uh, that was birthed in repentance is what that is, is signifying to us. And so within this plan, there was this, this uh, brazen altar and it was made of shittim wood or acacia uh, wood. And, and upon this altar, it was square, five cubits square, and there were these little projections on each of the corners and they were called the horns of the altar. And you could use those horns to, to tie a cord around, a rope, and tie down your sacrifice. And the inside of this altar was hollow. About halfway down, there was this mesh uh, screen that was also made of brass. Some say uh, copper. They could lay the wood there. They could lay the animal sacrifice on there, offer a sacrifice unto the Lord. At the initial offering of a sacrifice, they had to, make sure I don't trip and fall here, uh, they had to offer that unto the Lord, and then they waited, and the Lord sent fire from heaven to consume that sacrifice. And then it was up to the priest and the priestly ministry to ensure that that fire never went out. The fire from that altar was used uh, when you got into the holy place. You had the brazen altar, uh, the brazen labor, and then you would enter into the priest. Uh, the sons of Aaron at the time could enter into the holy place. There would be a table of shewbread. Uh, over here. Uh, there would be the golden candlesticks over here, and those golden candlesticks were lit with fire that came from that altar of repentance. And then there was an altar of incense right before the veil uh, to the Holy of Holies where the Ark of the Covenant was. 
and the mercy seat of God. And that incense, likewise, was burned under the Lord using fire from that altar, the brazen altar, that altar uh, of uh, repentance. And so the first step toward approaching God under the tabernacle plan that was given uh, by God unto Moses was the brazen altar. You could not bypass that. You could not move on to any other aspect of the tabernacle if you tried to bypass uh, the, the brazen altar. If I look up that uh, definition of the word altar in Latin, it simply means an elevation. Um, you know, these steps are an elevation. Again, I could kneel on the ground and not really have anything in, this, in the, the church age and the spiritual mindset uh, that we have now within the church and consider it an altar and repent unto the Lord. But, but in, in Latin, it simply meant an elevation. In Hebrew, it means a place of sacrifice. And so, in fact, that word altar, the same root would be in there for the word altitude. So altar, altitude, when I say elevation. So we see in scriptures when there were people that were worshiping unto idols and they were worshiping in high places. That's why they were high places. They were these altars. They were these elevations at which they would make offerings to false uh, gods. But this brazen altar... Um, had specific uh, materials that it was made out of, shittim wood or acacia, and it was overlaid uh, with brass. It had this, uh, this mesh about halfway down. There were no steps to the altar, but rather uh, as it got higher, especially in the Temple of Solomon, they would lay dirt, stones, something where they would not hew with a tool, and that way the priest could come up and approach the top of that altar and offer a sacrifice. And so an altar, if I gave a very basic and general definition, is simply a structure for the purpose of sacrifice. And specifically, when we're talking about sacrificing under the one true God, that is a blood sacrifice. And that blood sacrifice had to come from an animal, an animal without spot and without blemish, sacrificed upon uh, this altar in order to atone uh, for sins. And the word sacrifice is not just a noun. It can also be used uh, as an action in which the transgressor slays and offers his sacrifice as representative of the whole of that transgressor unto God. And in doing so, the transgressor acknowledges his guilt and also acknowledges the mercy of God in accepting a substitute in place of himself to atone for the sins that he committed. And so we'd see with this tabernacle plan of God, uh, there was a high priest that was Aaron, uh, initially, the brother of Moses, and he uh, would go through the, this plan. He would offer a sacrifice, go through this entire uh, 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 plan of the tabernacle one time for, for the sins of himself, and then he would do it another time uh, for the sins of the, the, the children of Israel. And he would enter, go so far as to enter the Holy of Holies, past that veil, only one time per year. That's what the high priest uh, would do. There would be other priests. Those would be the sons of... Uh, of Aaron, eventually it was just Eleazar and Ithamar after uh, Nadab and, Ali and Abihu offered strange fire unto the Lord. They let that fire uh, go out. They tried to offer strange fire unto the Lord. They tried to uh, offer worship unto the Lord that was not birthed in repentance. And th the Bible says uh, that the fire of the Lord came down and consumed them both. And so there were just two sons of Aaron initially then that were the priests. And these priests, rather than just a yearly sacrifice, they would do a daily sacrifice. And they would do it in the morning, and they would do it 
uh, in the evening. And these, pri- these priests are akin to you and I today. Revelation chapter 5 says that we are kings and priests. Amen. When we have been born in the water and the spirit, we're, and we're walking in the spirit in the church, uh, you are a priest. And priests were to offer a daily sacrifice. Now, other people could come all day, every day to that altar and offer a sacrifice unto the Lord. Likewise, that would be akin to uh, somebody initially realizing they need to come to a place of repentance. It doesn't matter if it's Sunday. It could be Tuesday afternoon, and you first realize, I need to repent. I need to be baptized in Jesus' name, filled with the Holy Ghost. And God can do You can repent on a Tuesday. I got baptized on a Wednesday. I got filled with the Holy Ghost on a Tuesday. Amen. It does not matter what day of the week that is. Uh, See, here is water. What doth hinder me from being baptized? The Ethiopian eunuch said uh, to Philip. Now, looking to the church age, we see and know that Jesus Christ is our high priest. And I want to look in uh, the book of Hebrews, chapters 8, 9, and 10, uh, just a little bit because it has a lot to say about that and this tabernacle plan and why it was so specifically laid out uh, to Moses uh, under the law and under the old covenant. And it was because all these things, to, to, to very minute detail, uh, were to be types and shadows of what was to come, of the true image, uh, the Bible says, and as we will read. Hebrews chapter 8, and if I begin at verse number 1. In fact, it says, Now of things which we have spoken, this is the sum. We have such an high priest, Jesus Christ, who is set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty of the heavens. That's not talking about a literal right hand. God is a spirit. And he's the same God today as he was back then. A spirit has neither a right hand or a left. This is talking about a position of power. Specifically, this is talking about the man Christ Jesus, the Messiah. It was only by that human flesh. Once Jesus had robed himself in flesh, died, been buried, and resurrected, that Almighty God could implement this new covenant for mankind. This is what's talking about when it says the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. Verse 2, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle. This tabernacle of Moses was a type and shadow. Jesus came, and under the new covenant, we're considering the true tabernacle, which the Lord pitched and not man. Verse 3, for every high priest is ordained to offer gifts and sacrifices. Wherefore, it is of necessity that this man have somewhat also to offer. For if, uh, for if he were on earth, he should not be a priest, seeing there are priests that offer gifts according to the law, who serve, verse 5, unto the example and the shadow. The example and the shadow uh, of heavenly things. If there's a shadow, I've got some object, and light passes through that and casts a shadow. But what is that object? Uh, what is the, the image that we are talking about? A shadow of heavenly things, as Moses was admonished of God when he was about to make the tabernacle. For see, saith he, that thou make all things according to the pattern showed thee in the mount. Verse 6, but now hath he obtained a more excellent ministry, Jesus by how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant, which was established uh, upon better promises. So this tabernacle uh, pattern was intentionally very detailed and specific as God would use this as a type and shadow for the plan of salvation under a new covenant, indeed a better covenant. And God had this plan in mind uh, from the very beginning that he himself would become our high priest. But not only that, 
that he himself, the one true God, robed in sinless flesh, would, be, would become the supreme substitutionary sacrifice to atone for the sins of mankind once and for all. Substitutionary in that his sacrifice would be sufficient to, as a substitute for you and for I today. Somebody said, praise the Lord. Lord. There would be no more yearly sacrifice of animals by this high priest, but God, as Abraham said in Genesis 22, God will provide himself uh, a lamb. Going on to Hebrews uh, chapter 9 and beginning at uh, verse uh, number 24, for Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us, nor yet that he should offer himself often, he doesn't have to do a yearly sacrifice, as the high priest entereth into the holy place every year with blood of others. Verse 26, for then must he often have suffered, often have suffered since the foundation of the world. That was not the plan of God. But now once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. In two more verses. And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment, so Christ was once, one time, offered to bear the sins of many, of you and I, unto this day. And unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. If I go on to chapter 10, just a few verses. Verse 1, for the law having a shadow of good things to come and not the very image. The tabernacle was a shadow. The sacrifice The sacrificial lamb without spot or blemish was a shadow. The sinless flesh of Jesus Christ was the image that was casting that shadow. And not the very image of the things can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. Uh, Skipping to verse 3, but in those sacrifices there is remembrance made again of sins every year. The the, the blood of of bulls and goats only pushed those sins forward, pushed those sins forward under the time when that supreme sacrifice would come that would take care of sins uh, once and for all. Verse 4, for it is not possible, the Bible says, that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. And this is important as to why the tabernacle was only a shadow, because only the blood of Jesus Christ can take away sins. And that's why the Bible says that the church was purchased by him. He purchased it with his own blood, the Bible says, and this makes him our supreme uh, substitutionary sacrifice. A couple more verses in chapter 10, verse 12. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God, again, the position of power to enact this new covenant, verse 14, for by offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Another word for sanctified is holy. In other words, the people that have been born again of water and the Spirit and that have continued walking with God in a repentant lifestyle. And so today we still identify uh, with this pattern of the tabernacle that was laid out in the Old Testament and Jesus fulfilled Uh, this pattern and this prophecy in the New Testament. We no longer need the blood of bulls and of goats. It is the blood of Jesus that has the power to take away sins, and his blood is far-reaching. This blood is applied to our lives when we identify with his death. It's applied to our lives when we identify with his burial and his his resurrection. In Acts 2.38, salvation, the blood of Jesus is applied. When you get baptized in Jesus' name, you're not being washed and cleansed by water. 
You are being washed by the blood of Jesus Christ, the sinless blood of Jesus Christ. And when you repent of your sins, you are identifying with his death and you are not simply receiving an official pardon uh, for your transgressions, but the blood of the lamb is being applied from the, uh, to your life, the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Specifically, it is his death and his sacrificial death that we identify with when we repent of our sins. Somebody said amen. amen. But although our high priest has taken care of his part once and for all, that does not take away the need for us, the church, to bring our sacrifice uh, unto that spiritual altar daily. We are priests. If you've been born again under the water and the spirit, you are a priest. Turn to your neighbor and say, I am a priest. Turn to your other neighbor and say, well, don't get a big head about it. Amen. We identify with his burial at baptism. We identify with his resurrection, with the infilling of the Holy Ghost. But we identify with his death from our initial repentance. And we are to continue to identify with his death through our daily sacrifice and our daily living. Through living repentant lives and maintaining repentant hearts daily, every day. Jesus said in Luke 9, 23, Back to our scripture text. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Paul, the apostle, said, I die daily in 1 Corinthians 15. Romans chapter 12. Paul said, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. This also implies a daily sacrifice because it's in the present. And it's talking about as long as you live. And that means every day. Jesus only had to die for us one time, but as long as you're still in this flesh, as long as I'm still in this flesh, I've got to die out every day. I've still got this flesh to contend with. Uh, Paul also said in Romans uh, 7, that which I would, I, I do not, and that which I would not, well, that's what I do. And he was elaborating on this flesh that the great apostle Paul, that he still had to contend with and keep under subjection to the spirit of the living God on a daily basis. Uh, basis. I've got to die out to the world and to the flesh every day. I pray through the tabernacle plan uh, daily, uh, personally, and I've done that since uh, I learned that in Bethalto under Brother Mark Burke was the first I heard, I heard teaching about, the, about praying the, the tabernacle plan, and that has affected me unto this day. Uh, but I die out to sin and to the flesh every day. That's the first step uh, within it, and I make sure uh, that I don't miss this. God will not do that for me. I've got to do it. And I've got to keep this flesh under subjection because, you know, the Bible talked about uh, that sin that doth so easily beset you. And I dare say every one of us might have that sin that doth so easily uh, beset us. I know people in this church that have been de delivered of many things. I know people that have been delivered of various drugs. They've been delivered of, of, of alcohol, tobacco, other things. I know people that are sitting in here uh, right now that cannot look at somebody. They've been delivered of tobacco by the Lord, and yet they'll tell me today, I cannot look at somebody taking a cigarette to their mouth because that can have an effect on them. And they have to make sure every day. If you've got that sin that doth so, so easily uh, beset you, you want to take special and pay special attention to that every day. Amen. Besides just dying out to sin uh, generally and dying out to this flesh generally, I'll, I'll ask the Lord... I've got my own, my own things, and I'll, I'll say, Lord, get that desire out of my heart, and I'll ask that every day for God to do that. Get that desire out of my heart, and he will. Amen? 
in Jesus' name. Yes, the Holy Ghost can help you if you're, you're filled with his spirit, but you've still got to present your own body a living sacrifice. Yes. Amen. If there's anybody here that has not received the Holy Ghost, you need it this morning, but you've got to want the Holy Ghost. Amen. You've got to want it. You've got to seek after God uh, earnestly. You've got to earnestly ask him to fill you. And you know what? He will. Amen. And that will help you uh, if, you're, if you're struggling uh, with your flesh. Repentance is a lifestyle. I want to get this across to us this morning. Under the new covenant, man has an ever more spiritual mindset. Uh, we have the, the infilling of the Holy Ghost. We are baptized by one spirit into one uh, body, uh, the Bible says. These signs shall, shall follow them that believe, uh, so forth. These are new things that are available to man since the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But although this is a, a more uh, spiritual mindset, uh, and it, it may indeed be a new mindset, God has never changed. Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. He has ushered in this gospel plan of salvation, but God is a spirit, and he is still a spirit, and he's the same spirit today that he has always been. He's no different. He's revealed himself in greater measure to man, but he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And even though man may have a new, more spiritual mindset, sin is the same, the devil is the same, and my flesh is the same. And flesh wants an easy way out, you know. Oh, man, I'm, I'm having a struggle with the flesh. Lord, do something about it. And then we go right back to what we were doing. Boy, I'm feeling conviction in my heart about this sin problem. I know I'm going to go up there and I'll have the preacher cast it out of me. We can't cast out flesh. You do not cast out flesh. You crucify flesh. You need an altar in order to crucify flesh. You bring your sacrifice to the Lord every day and lay it upon the altar, and you leave it there. You don't take it back. Amen. And if there is that sin that doth so easily beset you, then you ask God every day to get that desire out of your heart. You've got to crucify the flesh. This does not mean that you literally physically harm yourself. There are people in the world that believe that. There are people, I, I want to say, in the Philippines that every year around, around the time of Easter, they'll think, oh, well, I'm going to get a little closer to God and identify with him. And they'll lay down on, a, on an actual wooden cross that somebody makes, and they'll lay there, and they'll nail their hands into this cross and go up and, and hang there, and they're bleeding and they're suffering. That's not good. Uh, that's not what God instructs us to do. Amen. Jesus Christ was a sacrifice for us one time. That we did not have to do that, and we, we don't need uh, to do that this day. Okay, but, but I've got to crucify my flesh every day. That means you've got to intentionally and deliberately die out to sin every day. It means I've got to have a repentant heart. I've got to have a repentant uh, attitude, and I have got to be submitted unto God daily. Somebody said every day. Every day. Paul set an example for us. He said, I died daily in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. The great apostle Paul knew that he had to present his body a living sacrifice every day. Every day he had to symbolically lay his flesh upon an altar of repentance and put it down. You know, when a horse breaks its leg and they go over and they hate to do it, but they, they put it down. I'm thinking of that when I tell the Lord, God, I lay this flesh down, I put it down. Not that I'm putting a bullet in myself. And, and that was taught by Brother James Littles a few years ago. That's why, that's why I think about that. I've got to put my flesh down. I have to crucify my flesh. It's, it's more than just, just having uh, sorrow and thoughts of contrition. 
uh, within my heart. And Paul repented uh, every day. He had to do this for himself. God would not do this for him, and God's not going to do it for me or for you either. God will not take the joint out of your hand. God will not take the beer bottle uh, out of your hand. God will not take the drugs out of your hand. God will not come down and grab my hand holding that mouse clicker and move it so I go away from that porn site. Okay? There's some things that I've got to do myself. Paul did not ask the help of Peter or Luke or some other contemporary to come and cast flesh out of him because, as I said, you cannot cast out flesh. You've got to crucify your flesh. I remember some teaching years ago, Brother Billy Cole, Sister Melissa, and, and he, was talking of, he was talking about a lot of things. He experienced a lot of things uh, in the spirit realm. And he was talking about casting uh, demonic spirits out of people. And he said if somebody is brought before him and, they, and uh, they ask him to, or he feels led to cast an evil spirit out of them, he, he hopes that if somebody's asking him that, that it really is an evil spirit. Because if, he said if that's really an evil spirit that I'm casting out of that, that needs to be cast out of this person, he said, I can take care of that in 15 seconds. But he said if that's flesh that they're dealing with, it could take 15 years. And thus, it's more important than ever before that I heed the words to, to offer this sacrifice daily because we might not have 15 more years because Jesus is coming back soon. And it is more important than ever before that I deny myself, that I take up my cross, and that I follow him every day. Shall we stand? The cross of Jesus Christ, in fact, was an altar, metaphorically speaking. And I've mentioned types and shadows. Jesus gave himself willingly. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. The people crucified him, but unawares to them, they actually allowed him to offer himself as the supreme substitutional sacrifice for the sins of all mankind. They didn't realize they were ushering in the plan of God that needed to take place. They were not doing good. And his flesh died upon that altar. The Spirit of God did not die. His flesh died upon that altar. He was buried. Three days later, that Spirit came back in, quickened that flesh, and brought it back to life again. And 50 days after that, as his followers tarried in Jerusalem at his command, they waited for the promise talked about in Luke chapter 24, and then you can continue from there right into Acts chapter 1, if you've not read it. They waited for a promise, and I want to tell you, as I was thinking about it this week, without a doubt, the 120 in that upper room were repentant in their mind and heart and attitude. They had to be. And I submit to you today that in that upper room, they already were identifying with his death as living sacrifices. And as a result, fire fell upon that altar at Pentecost, cloven tongues of fire, the Holy Ghost in fire. And from that point on, it was up to those saints to keep that fire burning upon that altar, to keep it burning uh, every day in their own lives. And how did they do this? By denying themselves, by taking up their crosses, and by following him. Paul said in Galatians 2, I am crucified with Christ Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. 
And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself uh, for me. He said, I am crucified with flesh. That word, that word crucified seems to imply just a little more than simply the word sacrifice. If I'm crucifying this flesh, I saw a few people cringe when I talked about putting myself down in a, in a spiritual sense. Well, how about crucifying yourself? That's a, it's, a, it's a humane way to put a horse down, they, they say. If it's broken a leg, that horse is going to suffer. A little bullet, take care of it. And the horse makes some final noise and it's gone. <laughs> Boy, that ushered in the spirit, didn't it? Amen. But I've got to crucify myself with Christ every day. Yes, that's right. Back there, Sister Ivy, that was serious face that said that. She used to call me serious face. She still does. Amen. <clears throat> Amen. Amen. And I do just want to ask today, is there anybody in this house today that you never have repented of your sins yet in this place? Maybe you've never come to an altar of repentance for that initial time and repented to the Lord of your sins and, and put down that flesh and ask forgiveness from, from the Lord. This altar is open this morning. Come on up, praise singers. Begin to play. Sister, if you've never repented of your sins, you could do that this morning. Amen. You don't have to wait for a yearly sacrifice. It doesn't have to be at a specific time when the evening or morning sacrifice is made unto the Lord. For these initial comers, that altar is open all day, every day, and this altar is open right now. You have an opportunity. Would you come if you've never repented of your sins? If you've never been baptized in Jesus' name, I checked before I walked up here. There's water back there. What doth hinder you from being baptized? You could be baptized in Jesus' name this morning. Had those sins of yours washed away. If you've never been filled with the Holy Ghost, you could be filled this morning. Why don't you come to this altar and let the Lord fill you uh, with the Holy Ghost? If there's anybody in here, maybe you've got a certain struggle uh, with your flesh, you know, and just because you come to this altar doesn't mean anyone's looking at you saying, boy, that's a terrible person. Wonder what he did. Uh-uh. Every single one of us in this place is flesh, and we've got to keep our flesh under subjection. Ask God to help you. This altar is open this morning. Please sing, sister.